Hello, Megan Thompson here with Megan Thompson Coaching and today we're going to talk all about where you are struggling, what you're missing if your highly sensitive child just simply will not brush their teeth or any other hygiene issue that you find your sensitive child struggling with. Make sure that you stay tuned today. Hello and welcome to How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. I'm your host, Megan Thompson, licensed clinical professional counselor and registered play therapist supervisor. We at MTC teach parents how to eliminate the daily meltdown and shutdown cycle for your sensitive children and teens. Highly sensitive children make up 15 to 20% of the population, according to research that has been gathered for over a century. And this podcast answers one question. How can you raise emotionally intelligent children? Stop walking on eggshells and help your child express their needs safely without punishments, yelling, or coddling. If you wanna know the answer, you're in the right place. Okay, so here at MTC, we help parents of highly sensitive kids eliminate that meltdown cycle, break out of that pattern as little as eight weeks, and we've been doing this for years now, and we've helped hundreds of families break out of this pattern. And today we're gonna cover where you can be stuck as a parent, aside from the fact that you're waiting for your kid to go up the stairs with you, going to the bathroom to brush their teeth before bedtime, or just running back upstairs to get them to brush their teeth before they start their school day. And the, the challenge is, aside from being stuck on the landing waiting for your kid to follow you, is, uh, is much more pervasive than that, right? The challenges are much more pervasive than that. So, want to focus on noticing where where you could be mi- missing the the mark here in parenting a sensitive child and uh, first we want to cover what the meltdown cycle is right for those of you if this is the first show you're tuning into um, let's make sure that we're clear the meltdown cycle is related to any highly sensitive child children who feel big feelings think about things deeply are emotionally reactive or responsive to the point where They can be overly, or in your opinion, uh, empathetic or compassionate at times, and then completely um, demonstrating zero empathy or acting on on, on their empathy at all in other moments and be really, really quite sensitive to subtleties. And and one of those is sensory subtleties, which is what we'll talk about today. and, and as a result, your child's having meltdowns on a frequent basis. So what's that frequency we talk about here at MTC? This is daily, multiple times a day, multiple times a week. If your child over the age of four is having meltdowns at any of that frequency, those meltdowns could be lasting 10, 15, 20, 30, 90 minutes long. Make sure that you're staying tuned to what we're covering because none of that is developmentally appropriate even if you have a big feeling kid. Very, very important, right? Even if your child feels big feelings, that does not mean they need to have big explosive behaviors to go with it. Those behaviors I'm I'm talking about, hitting, kicking, screaming, yelling, um, using verbal aggression with you, name calling, throwing things, even if it's just a, um, a situation where the toy is right there and they happen to have it in their hand, that is a pretty serious indication that your child feels out of control, okay? And that's really, really important for you to pay attention to because one thing that we see so frequently in moving into our topic today, which is 
the hygiene issue and the hygiene transitions, this is for young kids, this is for older children. We've, you know, we've helped countless parents of nine-year-olds, 11-year-olds who uh, all of a sudden, quote unquote, um, start having these issues around getting ready for the day and self-care, hygienic self-care. So let's cover it. Let's walk, us, walk it through, okay? If your highly sensitive child is struggling with this, and we're gonna use this uh, in relation to teeth brushing today just to stay succinct, um, but really this applies to hair brushing, showering, a wiping in the bathroom, any of that jazz, it's all related, okay? So um, that's, that's point number one, right? Thinking that this is a specific issue that you need to target specifically is actually where most parents get tripped up. This is, the meltdown cycle is a pervasive problem in the family dynamic and in the child's ability to feel like they're capable of creatively solving their problems. Those two things need to be addressed head on at the same time. And so we can't just address meltdowns around teeth brushing um, only by focusing on what kind of, of toothbrush to get. But honestly, this is probably the advice that you're getting from other parents or even pediatricians or perhaps the dentist when you're having conversations, right? It's just to fix the immediate problem in front of you. And that tunnel vision is actually keeping you stuck in survival mode. So what might you be hearing from other people? You might be hearing, um, hey, you know, go get my, my, go get this toothbrush that has lights and um, it buzzes and it sings a song or go get this toothbrush that um, that is labeled of the, you know, their favorite cartoon for the week, right? Um, go get this toothbrush that, um, that, that, and the toothpaste that tastes delicious, right? And, and, and um, or talk to them, use fear, right? You might hear this, um, you know, if, if you don't brush your teeth, your teeth are gonna rot and then the dentist will have to pull them all or they'll all pull out, right? What happens there? Now you have a fear with the dentist. Great, <laughs> like a lot of the, the human population, right? The dentist isn't usually a pleasant experience for many. And so obviously we don't wanna to add to an already uncomfortable experience. You know, when gums are poked, they, that hurts, right? So uh, there's, there's a reason for a child or an adult to feel fearful in going to the dentist. We don't need to add to that problem by inducing fear related to, um, to, to the actual need, which is, um, the, the fact that your child feels uncomfortable in following the routine or uncomfortable in following through on a sensory intense experience for them. And, and it could be two, um, two things at, at the same time or multiple things at the same time causing this problem. And so it's really important that we don't just try to fix the problem from a whack-a-mole strategy, right? What is a whack-a-mole strategy? Whack-a-mole strategy is this week my, my kid is mad about brushing their teeth, so I'm going to hyper-focus on fixing the teeth brushing problem. I'm going to um, buy all these kinds of toothbrushes, buy all, you know, you know uh, borrow toothpaste from the neighbor to see if my kid will try this different stuff. And then, oh, maybe we found a solution for the next six months, but guess what? During that next six months, your kid is now struggling with going up the stairs to um, to get to bed and put pajamas on, right? That's a whack-a-mole strategy. Well, all you're doing is noticing how to fix the problem right in front of you rather than looking at the root cause of the problem. So the bottom line is that brushing your teeth and trying to make it playful or you know, trying to find a way for your child to find it enjoyable, while relevant in the sense that we don't want to induce fear, right? Like the other strategy that some parents or dentists or doctors might 
tell you to do um, because that doesn't work. We also need to notice that trying to make it fun with just a, a solution related to the activity that's challenging is still missing a fair amount of the, the problem because your child has to be willing to brush their teeth and willingness isn't just um, built by changing the, the external environment, right? If we think about how we wanna raise our children if you are following me and, and, and MTC and he, us here in our, our messaging, what you're noticing is that you don't want other people to control your kid's motivation, right? You don't want external circumstances to control your motivation. If you've been reading for a while on, on raising chi children and child rearing, you might have heard the word intrinsic motivation or internal motivation. These are people who have drive to do because they feel accomplished, not because anybody told them they had a good job, right? That they, that they did a good job or not because they're waiting to get paid for it or, um, you know, and, and, and not because somebody's bribing them or holding a threat over their head. That carrot and stick mentality is traditional parenting. And, and traditional parenting pervasively creates an invalidating environment for highly sensitive kids. And highly sensitive kids who grow up in an invalidating environment have a higher risk of suicide first, have a higher risk of self-harm next. And then second, thirdly, sorry, they have a higher risk of developing aggressive behaviors that are pervasive. What do I mean by pervasive? A pattern is two weeks or more, guys. A pattern is two weeks or more. Aggression, um, risky sexual behaviors in adolescence, etc. Now, um, you might have heard me say this before, but I have two companies. I'm contacting you. You know, we're we're having a, this 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 conversation through the show, through my coaching company. We help parents around the world eliminate that daily meltdown cycle or parents of sensitive kids, sensitive teens, and we work with the teens and the, and the parents together. And our clients are around the world, okay? Um, with that being said, I also run a local mental health practice, separate company, separate uh, model to serve, and separate needs. We serve clients who are actively suicidal. These are children and teens who have been in and out of the hospital prior to coming to us, and our efforts and the, the treatment that we provide actively keep them out of the hospital as they do the work in, the, in what we do. And so that level of severity is not necessarily what we're talking about here for you if your child's major meltdowns are on getting up to bed. But I got to tell you, if you don't fix this now, this is where that's going to head. And that's not because I'm here to, to, to um, add fuel to it to a fire. You already know where this is headed. You probably already have a family member. You might have had, um, you might have a sibling like me who significantly struggled with big emotions in their childhood and the carrot and stick mentality of traditional parenting didn't work for them. And as a result, uh, they might have developed a mental health disorder. My sister significantly uh, struggled with anorexia and suicidal thoughts into her young adulthood and, and still struggles, uh, both uh, success to, to be successful in, in living her life independently. And that is not a one-time experience. You know, we work with with, and I'm, but what I'm doing here is, is sharing with you my personal reference has, um, has anchored my professional references. The professional references that I have are, are pervasive. I've been working in this field for over 10 years with this specific specialty. So um, 
thousands of families that, that my work has impacted and the supervision of the clinicians I've supervised over the years has impacted prior to working with clients internationally through, through coaching. And so when we think about what your concern is and where you see this headed, I'm here to validate that concern. It's very serious and it is important to address it without just trying to bribe your kid with, with fancy toys, AKA, you know, playful toothbrushes to, to solve the problem. That's not the, the problem that needs to be addressed. And, and so when we think about this, it, it's, it's important for you to observe that you've been walking on eggshells for quite some time, right? This might've been when your child was three and it was hard to keep them in, a, in the car seat. It might've been when they were, were, when they were seven and they really struggled to uh, be home alone on their own and uh, to, to leave you in, in one room and, and go into their own room and play with Lego or what have you. And now at nine, your child is saying, no, I don't wanna brush my teeth. I don't care if I have halitosis. I, don't, you know, I know my teeth get um, rot. They already are out of their baby teeth, so at this point you feel even more intensely pressured to help them fix this problem. And yet at nine, you can't hold them down and brush their teeth like you might have done when they were two. And so this is something that's really important to address now rather than later. Uh, and it has to be done without tactics. It needs to be done with a strategy. And so when we think about solving the problem, the important component that you need to decide on as a parent is that you are principally choosing to lead your parent from a place of emotional safety and emotional well-being. And emotional well-being means that a, a, a human being, and in this circumstance, a child, your child, feels fully capable of creatively solving their problems. And that skill set is what allows people to live a well-balanced life because, um, you know, you can take people-pleasing workaholics who struggle in their balance at work, they have a hard time feeling like they can creatively solve the problem of saying no to a professional colleague or to their boss, right? So what happens, that bleeds into their, um, to their family life and they come home stressed or they don't come home at all when the kids are asleep for, for you know, many days out of the week, et cetera, when the kids are awake. And that is obviously not a well-balanced life. You take a, a, an adolescent who is engaging in risky behaviors, hurting themselves, shutting the door, um, slamming the door, shutting down, just you know, using the screen. In that circumstance, their only skill set is to check out emotionally from the experience. And, um, and, and, and that obviously doesn't lead to a well-balanced life. So here we have a situation where your child might be four, five, seven, nine, uh, even 11, and you're dealing with this teeth brushing issue. And as it's important to understand that the lack of creativity in solving the problem is what's very important for you to focus on. And I want you to take a clear look at your child's development and see, is this the first time that you've noticed that your child has had a hard time thinking outside the box when they are stressed, when they are overwhelmed? That is incredibly important because if your child is able to creatively solve their problems when they're calm, which is very, very frequently for highly sensitive children, then it's an important piece for you to notice and to, and to take note that, oh, wow, we have been stuck in the meltdown cycle for a lot longer than I thought, even if you haven't seen meltdowns this intense before, okay? 
So I wanted to cover that um, specifically because when we think about being able to teach your child what needs to be done about it, you need to understand the, the root cause of the issue before we look at uh, what's going what's gonna to work, what's going to impact your child's behavior, right? So that you guys can get on with it. I mean, teeth brushing is supposed to take two minutes per, you know, whatever academy of dentists <laughs> that we're supposed to listen to. Um, I didn't study that before I came on here to the, today's show. But, um, you know, what is it? Yeah, I'm not even going to try because I'm going to butcher it if I try to act definitively <laughs> about what the U.S. Um, Dental Association is called. And so um, the two minutes are, you know, task, right? It, it, that can feel maddening as a parent when you know that that's literally, um, that's literally taking your kiddo uh, just 20, 30, 40 minutes, right? And so where we need to make sure we're, we're focusing is, is on that first component, right? The logical aggravation that you're experiencing on a daily basis as a parent and how that's a, a, a pretty big mismatch to what your, where your child is feeling. And so we speak often about the fact that you as a parent need to lead your child out of this dynamic. And that's just because we've seen hundreds of families lead the same way. And so it's not to say that there's another method that actually works because the research is, is unparalleled on highly sensitive children that says specifically that a positive relationship with parents that, that where a child feels heard, understood, and there's clear strategy related to how the parent holds the child accountable to what skills they need to build, and then also a clear strategy on teaching the child how to build those skills in a way that doesn't induce shame or fear or added frustration to the mix is the way that highly sensitive children actually move ahead of the curve of their peers. And so when you as a parent notice that your child's highly sensitive, they have lots of gifts and talents, and yet those gifts and talents are not creatively pulled into times during stress, what you can be sure of is that your highly sensitive child stuck in the meltdown cycle is not generalizing their skill. That's what we call that, right? Being able to use the skill in one situation and have that repeatedly relevant in other situations. Those situations could be at home, they could be in the community, in, in scouting or in sports, etc. Um, and then they could be at school as well or with other adults. And so if you see your child acting effectively, using skills effectively to creatively solve their problems in one area of their life, and yet for you, they are, they are not doing that. Um, you know, in, in this example, hygiene, usually it's the parents who are helping kids follow through on that expectation. Then it's important for you to be sure that you're taking into account this awareness of the fact that highly sensitive kids only generalize skills when those skills are learned through their parents. And that's really, really important because you might have your child learn a skill and apply it um, in other settings with practice and rote memorization, but that's not something that your child's gonna be able to then take the, the basic learnings of that. I feel capable, problems are solvable. I know how to solve problems. I can ask for help to solve problems. That's an identity that your child has. If your child does not have that identity that they are creative problem solvers, then they are not gonna be able to demonstrate creative problem solving in times of stress unless you are basically directly dictating the same thing to them in, in when new problems arise. So that is obviously very tiring for you as a parent because you know we're back to the same whack-a-mole situation. You might have found a solution 
um, for, for your child to, to ask of what flavor toothpaste they feel like today and that might help um, them feel like they have a sense of, of uh, agency, of independence, because it's not just the one kind. But that, you know, rather than bribery of, look, I, honey, I got you this like fancy newfangled toothbrush and it happens to have Paw Patrol on it or, you know, whatever it is that their favorite character is. But that component for your child, um, you know, the novelty wears off. And so we don't ask our clients to, to focus on novelty. We, we teach our clients to help, our ch help their children feel capable in accepting reality, feel capable in advocating for how their realities can change. That's creativity because sometimes reality isn't going to change and you need to be able to regulate your emotions regardless of the outcome of what's going on around you. And then the other piece of this is feeling capable of asking for something to change and tolerating whether it will change or not and, um, and being able to move through that. That's flexibility. That's generalizing a skill and an identity of feeling creative, of feeling like life works out for you. And that's a skill that you need to teach your child in a different way than just saying, hey, life works out for you. Let's go to Target, get a, get a new toothbrush. Um, and so we, we really need to make sure that we're taking a clear look on the problem because solving that problem doesn't, doesn't, um, doesn't actually address the issue if we're only focusing on uh, the, the, this, the, the thing your kid is saying they're mad about in the moment or the, th or the thing that your kid doesn't want to talk about in the moment, whatever it is, okay? So here's the deal. We know that you've been working with your child to solve this problem over and over and over again, and you're a dedicated parent. And so that's not uh, a question in our mind. When we work with our clients, we say uh, the phrase that I often use, which is we work with awesome parents with awesome kids who just need awesome skills. And that's exactly what we're talking about here with you. The, the awesome skill component is really important to, um, to be very clear on what specific skills your kid needs to learn. It's not to like be excited, like a, there's no skill in being excited about a fancy toothbrush, right? The skill is in being able to manage their own emotions, uh, notice that something is uncomfortable and figure out a way to deal with that discomfort or make that discomfort go away. And those things um, are pervasive in your child's experience, which is why we address the problem from a multifaceted uh, um, approach. It's not just sensory. It's not just emotional. It's not just uh, for you as your parent being, as the parent being um, consistent and saying, you know, no dessert if you don't brush your teeth or whatever jazz is the flavor of the, the strategy of the week for you. And, um, and that's really important to understand. This is a multifaceted issue that needs to be addressed um, from multifaceted angles. So you gotta be doing your research. You gotta be focusing on noticing how people are solving the problem of the meltdown cycle and how they're doing it effectively, okay? Um, the, the effective way we've said it um, many times, you've likely watched our masterclass. If you haven't, make sure you get that link from us and however you're watching today's show. But um, the, the first and foremost importance here is to, to notice for you as a parent, you need to change the way that you think about your child. You need to change the, your perceptions of what they're capable of and how they need to be taught. Um, secondly is that needs to take into accord the fact that your child's highly sensitive and that's not changing. Uh, the way that they relate to the world can change, which is why we see highly sensitive kids respond to stress differently and why we can say that the daily meltdowns for highly sensitive kids is actually not part of the game. And, um, and then the other component is noticing for you that life needs to be playful. Um, you know, 
joy is a birthright for you. And that experience, if, if it feels fleeting, if it feels tied to, um, you know, the newfangled toothbrush that you have, happen to, you know, wrestle yourself over to Target for, um, then that's not joy. That's circumstantial pleasure. And uh, what we're talking about is being able to playfully relate to your children, playfully teach your children and feel playful um, in a way that actually is systematic, a way that doesn't just, um, you know, put on a, a clown face to make your kids laugh so they forget about the fact that they're uncomfortable. Uh, we're talking about being able to speak your child's language because play is the language of children and, um, and, and enjoying life with your children because that's why you decided to have uh, kids in the first place, right? Because you felt like life would be more enjoyable as you grew your love and um, that you had love to grow. And so that love uh, is best felt by your child when you are not adding shame to how you teach them. Okay, So that means that, um, you know, bribery, punishment, removing privileges for a child's discomfort, and um, any of that is, is what's going to keep your child feeling like they don't, you, you don't get them. And uh, that decreases their belief that you love them um, and, and their perception of that. And we know that if you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be listening, watching, tuning in, reading if you didn't love your child with your whole heart. Um, so here to tell you, I'm here to tell you that that, um, that love can be experienced without a gut punch worry that your kid doesn't believe it on a daily basis. And uh, that's something that we know has, um, has been something parents have been able to truly transform their lives into experiencing uh, regularly. And we are happy to help you figure out if what we do is gonna work for your particular family. And that requires a phone call. And let's have that conversation. Let's have a clear uh, and, and take a clear look at where you guys are, are struggling, what your issue is with, with your child and, and where, you, where you feel like you're stuck. And then we'll get clarity on whether or not that stuck point is really the stuck point or if there's more going, more, more going on to it, okay? Um, and, and once we both have that clarity on the phone, then we'll cover what your goals are. And if your goals are focused on all what I spoke about, right? You know, creating a pervasively mutually respectful and, um, and emotionally safe home for everybody involved um, in the home, then that's, you know, very likely possible that what we do and how we help parents get there is going to be a similar goal. Um, and we would talk, talk about how uh, we would help you get there specifically using what we know are our proven research-backed strategies that are tailored to the families that we work with so that your child feels understood in their own unique personality. And um, if we feel like something more, that's gonna be, is gonna be more efficient or effective, then we steer you in a different direction um, or have you, have you take care of a few things before what we would do would be appropriate and, and a good fit. And so we have all of that figured out on one conversation. And uh, that means that you get to figure out how to get started right away if what we're doing makes sense and, and that plan is something that you're gonna take care of uh, with us. So we're happy to have that conversation. It's free, you have nothing to lose, but everything to gain and understanding how you can completely transform the way that you experience your child and the way that your love pervasively uh, reaches your child. And bonus is you get to rest at night without like flopping on the couch, uh, exhausted because you spend a half an hour convincing your kid that 
the toothbrush isn't the devil. All right, have a wonderful day. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Thank you for joining me on this episode of How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. We release a brand new episode every week, so be sure to click subscribe. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in seeing if you're a fit to work with us at MTC, here's what I want you to do next. Head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call and book an appointment with our team. We'll get on the phone for about 60 minutes and we'll get you clarity on where you're stuck in parenting your sensitive child or teen what your goals are for supporting your child's development. And if we can help you, we'll get you started on knowing exactly what to do to eliminate that meltdown cycle. Eliminating the daily meltdown cycle does not happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make it happen. And we've helped hundreds of clients from all over the world end that cycle in as little as eight weeks. So to see if we can help you do the same, head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call. I'm Megan Thompson. And we look forward to speaking to you soon.